0: Psalm 34, 1-10 I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boasts in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Good morning, Harvest. So glad to be worshiping with you this morning. Have you ever had a time when you have experienced something at a different level and it's kind of ruined you for what you used to enjoy? For example, maybe you're a coffee drinker and you used to drink just kind of whatever coffee off the shelf. And at one time, maybe you tasted fresh roasted, just ground coffee uh, made right there for you. And when you tasted it, you've been ruined. And it's kind of hard to drink other coffee. Some people call that a coffee snob, but yet you're kind of ruined because you've had that better thing. Or maybe you tasted a certain kind of food and now you've tasted the next level of that food. And now that you've tasted it, it's hard to enjoy that other stuff. Well, as we come to this passage, the psalmist is pointing us to something better. Uh, pointing us to enjoy something even more uh, that will take our gaze off of that older thing or what we did have our eyes on and fix it on something greater, and that is the Lord. Even in verse 8, we see here that the psalmist says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So this morning, as we look at this passage, uh, that's what the psalmist is doing. He's pointing us to God. So we're going to take a look again as we continue the series in the Psalms. We want to learn about God's attributes, learn about him, because that changes the way uh, that we look about, think about life and, and do things. So let's look back at this passage. And uh, David uh, is the writer of this psalm. And he starts out with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. We are to rejoice over what God has done. Rejoice over what the Lord has done. As David comes and he communicates this psalm to us, he's communicating to us to rejoice and to learn because David has had uh, a challenging situation. He's remembered uh, a situation that he walked through how, and, and how God met him in that circumstance. And so he's rejoicing over what God has done in hopes to point us to trust in God doing something in the future, and we need to rejoice over what God has done. We often need to look back at our circumstances and, and times past when God has met us to give us faith that God can work again in the future. So that's what David's doing for us. He's pointing us to God, and saying, rejoice over what he has done. And as he is doing that, he's pointing us to say, the Lord needs to be worshipped. He says, I bless the Lord at all times. The Lord needs to be worshipped. He's to be worshipped regardless of our circumstances. The passage doesn't say, I will bless the Lord only when the God is good to me, or I will bless the Lord only when it's going the way that I want, or I will bless the Lord when individuals are responding the way that I want them to. No, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Something from what God did in David's experience has changed the way that he's looking and saying, No, at all times, I'm going to bless the Lord. Because, uh, and, and, but I've noticed like in our season of time, in this day, maybe the last two, three, four weeks, there's been kind of an increase of the temptation to complain. Certainly, I'd expect that from, you know, the secular news media to go on it, but I've noticed that in Christian circles or on social media where Christians are just starting to complain about every little detail. And David doesn't complain. That's the interesting thing. And David's situation was not a small thing. David's situation was one where he was in a place. If you look at the beginning of the psalm, if you look at your Bibles, at the top of the psalm before verse one starts, it says of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. in we learn about that in First Samuel chapter twenty one. We won't go through it all, but in First Samuel chapter twenty one. Uh, you know, that that entire chapter into uh, chapter 22, we learn that David had sought political refuge from Saul. Remember, he was being pursued by Saul, the king, uh, who, because people were praising David, and so he's uh, seeking refuge somewhere with with the king of Gath, and he found himself in a dangerous situation where the leadership there were afraid of David. They'd heard of all the great things that David had accomplished with the Lord's help, and they were afraid of him. And there was going to now be some backlash towards him. So with the place he goes to find refuge, he doesn't find refuge. He actually changes his behavior and starts to act like a madman. And God uses that for them to change their mind about him. They think David's gone mad. They let him go. And God delivers him. So David's situation isn't one like it's just comfortable or neat and tidy. Like it's just crazy. He's innocent. He's being pursued by his king. He goes into another group of people to find refuge. And then he's still going to be pursued. And God delivers him. And rather in the midst of that circumstance of complaining, he looks to the Lord and looking back as David is looking back, telling us this truth. He is not pointing to the things he's done. He is pointing to God and blessing him regardless of his circumstances. The Bible even tells us in the New Testament, not just here in the Old Testament, but fast forward to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Boy, that puts a lot of legs to I will bless the Lord at all times. Even in this time, we are called to worship the Lord regardless of our circumstances. And I know there are challenging situations that we're facing right now. I know there's a temptation uh, to complain about how government officials are making decisions and different things that are happening. And certainly I'm grateful that we have the rights that God has given us in this land to, to have freedom of speech and to share our perspective. But may we never share our perspective in such a way that points the finger at us. That points the finger at us and our ability to try to accomplish something. David doesn't do that. David says, I bless the Lord at all times. He's not pointing to his abilities, though he did some practical things that helped him get out of the situation that he was in. He's not pointing to his abilities. He is pointing to God. He believes that God's doing something and getting something done and that he's going to deliver him. For us, we, fast forward to the New Testament, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that God is going to use every single one of these circumstances that we are walking in for, for our good and for his glory. So even if we take advantage of the rights that we have, many times we're going to put them aside to serve others. But when we do, we want to do it in such a way that expresses our faith towards God, displays the fruits of the Spirit, shows our trust in Him, because that's what David does. In his hour of danger, David prays. Look at verse 4. It says... I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. In verse six, it says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And he talks about what the Lord did, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David doesn't focus on what he did. He focuses on what God did. Because he believes God answers prayers. And he saw that God answered prayers. That's why he wants us to praise him. You need to know that God answers prayers. He answered him. He delivered him. He saved him. Those are the words that that are used here in verses 4 to 7. Friends, we need to remember that God is the ultimate source of our rescue. Not people Not plans, not governor proclamations, or those that can fight against them. Our hope is not ultimately is in those things. Our ultimate source of rescue or deliverance or someone advocating for us, it comes from God. And may our actions display the fact that we have sought the Lord, believing that he will answer, trusting that he will do great things. My prayer, and why we're we're praying right now. We're in a season of a ten day season of praying and fasting with other churches in our communities uh, that are nearby in this county. Why are we doing that? Because we believe that God answers prayers, and though we can take action on our own in our country, we ultimately believe that God is going to get the most glory if He acts in such a way that He gets all the glory. Because if we can do things on our own and accomplish it, this lost and dying world will say, see, you can just do it. You can pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. If you work hard enough, if you take advantage of this right or do that thing, you can make it happen. Yes, we want to take advantage of of the blessings of the rights that we have. But we want to pray in such a way that God works to reveal himself so that the people around us would say, no, no. This, this couldn't have happened by man. It happened by God. Like the people of old who saw the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel, they were known to have been delivered by their God, taking them through the Red Sea, providing food for them. So many things happened for them. And, and other nations, when Israel came, they fell on their face and said, no, we want to worship your God the God of Israel. And may we pray that God works in such a way that the people around us would say, yes, we want to worship the God of the Christians because he has acted and it's clear. So let's pray and trust because we know that he answers. God answered David's prayers and he wants, to, and he wants us to have the faith that he will answer our prayers. And I understand there are many of us that we have prayed for deliverance from certain things, and yet we find ourselves in a place where that prayer is not getting answered, and we can be tempted to believe, "Well, God, God doesn't answer prayer because He doesn't answer my prayer." Well, we want to to evaluate ourselves certainly and go because we know that that God isn't always, God's not going to be favorable to those who are not trusting in him or living in lives of sin. Certainly like, like the psalmist from last week, Psalm 139, um, You know that, that psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. He first asked, Lord, is there anything in me? Is there anything in me that's hindering this process of, of you working because you don't want to bless sin? We want to ask the Lord that, but we don't want to stay there. Don't don't have some unhealthy focus on sin. But certainly we want to ask the Lord, are are we in sin? Is there a pattern of sin in our life that we need to repent of? But when we repent of that sin, we can know he's forgiven us of that sin. And then sometimes, you know, that's not the issue at all. It's just that God wants us to persevere. I mean, look at verse four. David says, I sought the Lord. And then in verse six, the poor man cried he was, was putting his all into that. Sometimes God calls us to persevere in prayer. In, in this situation, David had been delivered. We, we know the end of the story. But in our situation, we may not be yet, and may God may just be calling us to persevere. So in this season, as you're persevering, believe God can deliver you. Believe God can answer those prayers Because God answered David's prayers and he's also answered some of your prayers. He will answer them in the future. Be reminded he's delivered you. And as you're waiting, put your ultimate hope in the the deliverance that's going to come when Jesus comes back. Because Jesus will return. Jesus is going to make all things right. There's not going to, he's going to usher in a kingdom uh, where there is no disease and no more hurt and struggle and pain anymore. And he's going to make all things right. And so our hope is going to be in that ultimate final deliverance. But even as we hope in that, we can expect and trust that God's going to answer prayers to, de- to deliver us here and to answer our prayers. Because these verses, as David says, that the angel encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And the poor man cried and heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Even though we read that, these verses are not a promise for us to have complete prosperity. But rather, they are verses pointing us to a good and generous God who we can be completely satisfied in. Look at verse 8 again. We mentioned this already. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that he is good. Find your refuge in the Lord. When you find your refuge in the Lord, you will not be disappointed. Even the, the kind of the way this verse feels in the original, it's kind of like when you taste something that you've never had before. Maybe a fancy chef has made it, or maybe someone, at your mom made it, and they're like, taste this. And you're kind of looking at it like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that thing. That doesn't look good. Doesn't look right. I don't know that I want to taste it. And yet you do. And when you do, it's wonderful. You've all had that experience where you weren't sure about something. It looked kind of funny and you taste it and your eyes open and it's so good. And you're like, why haven't I enjoyed this before? That's what the psalmist is doing for us. The psalmist is calling us to taste that which he knows is glorious and wonderful, something that far exceeds what we would experience in some kind of food experience. Because he's saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when we taste and see that the Lord is good, it, it doesn't just do something to us, it does something in us. God does a work in us as we pursue him. He certainly does a work in us when we come to have faith in the Lord Jesus, but he does an ongoing work in us as we pursue him and know him because we're abiding in the vine and we bear much fruit as we learned in the gospel of John. But there's a fruit that happens. Look back in verse five with me. David says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look at him are radiant. Radiant is a word found also in Isaiah 60, verse 5, where it describes a mother's face lighting up at the sight of her children. But more so, not just at the sight of her children, but at the sight of her children, when she thinks she's lost them. But when they're found, or when they come back to the Lord, Think about how a mother's face lights up. This word also has the flavor of what we find in Exodus 34. Exodus thirty-four twenty-nine says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. He'd interacted with God. God. Think about the mother's face brightening up, seeing her kids, and think about what the Israelites experienced when Moses came out the mountain. He was shining. That's the kind of, of experience that we get to have. That's what other, not just what other people get to have, but what we get to have, because it says, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Friends, when we stop finding our refuge in other stuff, in things and plans and processes, we find our refuge in God, we are not disappointed. I guarantee you, as you pursue the Lord, as you pursue being in His presence, learning about Him, responding in faith to Him, you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. That's what David is calling us to. That's what I want to encourage to call you to. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when you find his goodness, you can find that you're safe in his hands. Look at verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is not a picture of just, you know, a child going and getting whatever he wants. No, it's a picture of a father who cares, one who blesses, one who who gives care and that we can run to. That provision is there. Friends, this is this is God. This is who God is and who we need to open our eyes to see who he is. And we need to rejoice. David is pointing us to this God who delivered him and he wants us to rejoice because this is the God who we can pursue, the God who we can run to, the one we can trust when our circumstances aren't what we want them to be. Uh, when our boundary lines, because our boundary lines will be falling in pleasant places for sure. Even when he's hemming us in. Got it? God answers our prayers and we can find refuge in him and not be disappointed, even if it's a situation we don't want. So let's rejoice in that. But let's also learn from David and his circumstances. He calls us to rejoice, but there's also a call to learn from David's experience with God. He's saying, I learned some things, friends. I learned some things in the midst of my trouble, and I don't want you to miss out on what I've learned. And here's some of the things that David learned. He learned to fear God. Look at verse 11. He says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He said, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. He's calling them to learn this truth of the fear of the Lord. In the book of Proverbs, right in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote, who was David's son, He said, fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this is important, this thing, this fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means a holy reverence for God. That's what it means. It means a holy reverence for God. It means see God for who he is and let it arrest you. Let it stop you in your tracks that you might consider every aspect of your life and live it to bring him glory because he sees all things, he knows all things. So we want to honor God. So, what does the fear of the Lord look like in our life? It looks like honoring God with our lives like doing what is right when no one else sees. Remember we learned from Psalm 139, that God sees everything, he knows everything, he's everywhere all the time. But we don't, we don't fear God in the sense of like, oh, he's, he's looming around the corner, so I gotta make sure I do what's right because I don't wanna get caught. No, for us, it's a, to fear the Lord is a call to have a perpetual awareness that God is there that a good and merciful God is there, that a powerful God is there. Certainly, yes, one who will carry out his justice, but a God who is loving and kind and merciful. Know that he is there and let your awareness of his presence change the way that you live right now. Because he does call us, look in verse 14, to turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. We're not walking around uh, like there's broken glass and we're just trying to be careful not to get hurt or we're not walking around thinking okay maybe you know God must be like that maybe maybe some of you had a parent that you just didn't know how they were going to respond to things. So you just were constantly walking around in fear or maybe a boss that you weren't quite sure how he was going to respond to things. And so you're just constantly living in fear of not showing what to do. Do I say this thing? Do I not say this thing? No, that's not the picture that we have here. The picture that we have here is of a good God. One who we certainly, we want to turn away from evil and do good because because as we do so, we can seek peace, we can pursue it, we can find his goodness because he calls us to live a certain way because it brings glory to him and he knows it's for our good. And he's, he's a God who's for his children because another thing David wants us to learn is that God is for the righteous. Look at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. That's where, where God is. His eyes are toward. He, sees, he even sees our needs before we ask them. In Matthew 6, 8, it says, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. His eyes are towards us. He sees what's going on. He knows what our needs are. His ears, look, it says his ears are toward their cry. He's attentive to what is going on in our lives, like leaning forward. He's aware when we have a need, when we, we pray, kind of like if you've been, ever been in a small group with a, a family that has small children, maybe you're meeting in their house and there's lots of interaction going on and all of a sudden, you know, the mom or the dad go, oh, wait a second, I've got to go take a, check on so-and-so. And you're like, I didn't hear anything. And they've heard their child because they're attentive, they're attuned, they know what their children's voices sound like, and they want to care for them. And our God wants to care for us out of his goodness. He's attentive to us because he's for the righteous. But then this also says in verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So how do we reconcile that, a God who's leaning towards and a God who's against? Because in Romans 3, it says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, how can we benefit from these good things? If God's towards the righteous and we can't do anything good, we're faced with the Lord being against those who do evil. If we can't do good, what, where's our hope to be? Where our hope is found in Christ. In fact, this passage points us to Christ. Because yes, it is true that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But this passage points us to a deliverance, because God brings judgment. He certainly does bring judgment against those who do evil and those that don't live according to his righteous rules. But he also brings redemption and deliverance. It says in verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them, delivers him out of them all. In verse 20, it says, He keeps all his bones... Not one of them is broken. Remember just a few weeks ago when we talked about the crucifixion, the guards came to see if Jesus uh, had died and saw all the criminals and what they typically would do is they would come and they would break their legs so that they would, uh, their arms would be outstretched and they wouldn't be able to lift themselves up and they would die by not being able to breathe anymore. And yet the guard came and Jesus was already dead. That's why he pierced his side. So this verse, even David, as he's pointing us to God, is pointing us to Christ, because Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And if you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus, you can find the forgiveness of your sins and find yourself among the righteous, not because you have innate righteousness in you, but when you are found in Christ, you receive a righteousness that is not of your own. It is a gift from God, Not so that no one may boast. So we are found righteous in Christ. We are found righteous in Christ. So these good things are ours for us. So I I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, that you would turn to him and that you would reach out to us as a church and we would love to minister to you and talk with you more about Christ. But those of us who have turned to Christ know that you are found in him, even if you find yourself in a place of discouragement and despair. Look at verse 18. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God is even attentive to those who find themselves in a place where they're discouraged or despondent. And he cares for them. He has an awareness of those who are discouraged. And some of you may not even be in a place where you're outwardly discouraged because you're like, well, no, I'm a Christian. I I have to be happy right now. I have to be joyful right now. But maybe that is there inside. But know this. The Lord is near to you. and The Lord comes and delivers one like you. He comes to all of us. We are to fear him in holy reverence because he's good and he is for the righteous. Though he does bring about judgment, he brings about redemption and he makes us righteous in Christ. So friends, our action points today are to rejoice. Rejoice in that amazing truth about what Christ has done. Rejoice in the fact that we have a God who has delivered us in the past. Be reminded of the things that your God has done in your life. And if you can't remember them, talk with your small group. Be encouraged. Help them help you to remember how God has worked in your life. And he's going to work again. He's going to continue to work. He's going to continue to work in our midst. And let's pray, friends. Knowing about this God, knowing these wonderful truths about our God, let's pray with expectation that God is going to work. Pray with expectation that he would save those around you that you love or even those that you don't know. Pray that he will bring deliverance. Pray that he will get all the glory. But in the midst of all of that, may we not get so focused on what God can do for us And deliver us. Let us delight ourselves in him. We want to be about the giver and not the gift. Look back at verse 8. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Friends, let's delight ourselves in the Lord because it is only in him that we will be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. I thank you, God, that you have worked in our midst. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the truths that David shared with us in this psalm. As we enter into the rest of our day and into our week and into the coming weeks, God, would we taste and see that you are good. With the time that you have given us, let us press into you God, I pray against the enemy's schemes to keep us from being in prayer, particularly in this next season as we're praying with other churches. But Lord, I pray that the faith family that we are in and those that are tuning in, we would find our delight in you and that we would taste you in a way that we never have before so that we wouldn't want these lesser things, but that we would want you. God, I pray that you would do that work in us. And that we would respond to the call to taste and see that you are good. Because I know we will not be disappointed and we will just want more. And there will be an infinite amount of you to taste and to enjoy for all eternity. We just thank you, God, for doing a work in us. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.